Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre for episode one of season five. Yes, it's a new year, and excited to say this is our first episode of 2023. And to kick things off in the new year, we're happy to welcome back a very good friend of the podcast, tennis host, writer, reporter, extraordinaire. She's also an awesome mom to two kids and more recently one very lucky hedgehog, uh, Blair Henley. Welcome back to Matchpoint Canada. Thank you so much, you guys. And thank you for the shout out to um, Glitter Sparkles Henley. That's quite the name. I, I kind of followed the 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 pre-lead up to the unwrapping, unveiling of the hedgehog on Instagram. Um, and, and I'm holding off on getting a dog or a cat in my house. So maybe that's the way to go. I don't know. Well, I, I held out for a long time, guys. And it was through lots of research that I was like, okay, what is an animal that I actually think is cute, but that is slightly more interesting than a hamster, um, possibly harder to kill. Um, not that we would ever do that intentionally, but yeah. you know, low expectations. Uh, and landed on the hedgehog. So far, so good. I'm a big fan, a much bigger fan than I thought. For the record. Well, well, that's that's wonderful. Um, I have to ask because you, we, you know, we we discuss how long a tennis season is, and and for us, we were glad to get a little bit of downtime after a lengthy uh, 2022. Did you get a bit of an off season yourself from all, all the hosting and all the digital work you do? I did. I was so excited to have sort of a last push in Fort Worth of the WTA finals. That was, I certainly didn't see that coming at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody did. So I was glad to have that be, you know, 20 minutes down the road for me. And then, yes, I did get a bit of an off season. I always try to keep my finger on the pulse just because it's so much harder to sort of drink from the fire hose when you come back, if you haven't kept one eye scrolling Twitter and seeing what's happening (laughs) in the exhibition matches, if there were any, unusual results there or uh, any content that came out of those events. So yes, overall got an off season. I'm I'm not going to be in Australia. So again, trying to keep up from afar and my first tournament this year will be the Dallas Open. Did they put that uh, WTA finals there just to make things easier for you and accommodate your schedule? Well, I thought they were, I thought I was being punked when, when the news <laughs> was broken to me. I I said, Haha, that's a good one guys. And they were like, no, really <laughs> it's going to be in Fort Worth. And I think, I mean, overall, it it really finished amazingly well for the time that they had to uh, create it, promote it. Um, I think had they had more time, it could have been much better in terms of eyeballs. But really, over the course of the week, you could tell word was spreading. Many people just didn't know it was happening. Um, so, you know, in a perfect world, Fort Worth would have gotten a little bit more of a runway. But overall, I think it was really positive. It's so tough on players with families and kids to travel throughout the season, but also members of the media like yourself. So that was kind of nice to have one that was close to to home base. As we look ahead to 2023, and we put this out to our listeners on Twitter, any tennis-related New Year's resolutions? So I want to ask you, are are you a big New Year's resolution kind of person? And uh, do you have any tennis-related ones, either when it comes to your own game or, or your relationship with the sport in a working capacity for the upcoming year? You know what? I'm not a huge resolutions person, but I ha- I do have a tennis related resolution. And so not a work related, a I still 
try to play at least once a week. Um, twice would be the goal, but sometimes that doesn't happen. But in my mind, it makes me uh, more credible in my job if I can maintain some level <laughs> of tennis proficiency. So I have a kind of a rotation of, of three guys in my neighborhood who I hit with play sets against. I have a vision for my forehand for this year, and it is to make it look more like Holger Runa's forehand. Oh, that's that is my New Year's resolution. I don't know if you've seen any of the videos that he has posted of his forehand, but I'm like, yes, this is what I want my forehand to look more like. The preparation, early preparation, he starts off with his elbow closer to his body, which I personally, that's something that I've always coached for recreational players. Uh, some players like a Daniel Medvedev can get away with a giant backswing with the arm completely detached from the rest of his body. That's what Most I thought you were going to say, actually, is with Medvedev. <laughs> um, right. Most of us can't get away with that. I love the way Holger sets up. Uh, and I love the way he has such a great finish. His shoulder is is pretty much touching his chin on the finish. So you still get that good brush up the back. But the the hitting track, that straightaway of the stroke, is so solid every time. And I will give you my last thing that I love about it. We're getting a full forehand breakdown love here. It. I I love that he is, he appears to be even in practice, crushing every single forehand that comes to him. Um, and I think in practice, that's something I wish I had done better as a junior is in practice. I wish I had just gone out and ripped every single ball in practice. Like there was no such thing as, you know, I'm going to play my teammate today and I don't want to lose. And therefore I'm going to hit safer balls. And I know that I cannot last them physically. I would have just, I, I wish that I had somebody telling me who cares it's practice, crush the ball as hard as you can build up the, the strength, the stamina and the fearlessness that it takes to beat a Novak Djokovic in a masters 1000 final. So there, right. there you go. That was a very long-winded New Year's resolution, but this has been on my mind for a while, clearly. Well, that, that last part sounds a little like, Ben, what you kind of proposed yeah, to play was, more aggressive. Exactly. I was I was going to say, and I love how detailed that was, but I, I think I just tweeted out that my goal tennis-wise for 2023 was, I, I mean, I talked about getting to net, but playing braver tennis. Uh, and and that's really, that's really a mental block I think a lot of players struggle with, whether juniors or, you know, my age or, or whatever of of just sort of trusting and going for your shots when the opportunity is there sort of playing to win rather than playing not to lose. So that's, that's the mental mentality I'm going to try and tap into for, for 2023. Um, so there, there's a similarity there, I think. And, and I, as the least talented tennis player among the three of us, although I'm functional, definitely, yep. I want to have no anxiety when I step up to hit my second serve because it's something that's just gotten worse for me. And I feel like, a lot of people can relate. A couple of our listeners mentioned something similar, and we'll share some of those at the end of the episode this week. But I step up to the line, and I feel that tension. I feel nervous. I feel awkward. And, of course, I, I shank it horribly. So I think some lessons are in order this year, and um, and that's my goal. And, you know, I played more tennis in 2022 than I've played in the past 10 to 15 years. So that was a real big step forward. But this part of my game is uh, still uh, pretty stagnant for me, unfortunately. Okay, I, I I now need to be your last interview of 2023 so that we can check in and see how this. Yeah, is. I like that. Hold everybody accountable. That that's Yo. great. Uh, to talk about some of the the tennis that, of course, has kicked off 2023 brand new event United Cup happening in Australia, which of course wrapped United States winning it. 
This one, like a similar concept to the ATP Cup, which I loved, uh, but this one uh, joining the men's and the women's players. Just your early thoughts on the tournament. Do you think it worked? Do you think it has has staying power? Uh, as much as I loved watching Canada win ATP Cup last year, I I much preferred starting my year off with United <laughs> Cup. And I don't know that's if fair. that's because Davis Cup is... It seems like it happened just yesterday. I don't know what it is exactly, but I overall really enjoyed United Cup. Um, they also did not have a long runway as far as getting this whole thing going and set up and to do it in three different cities. It, it <laughs> makes me think of the Winona Ryder gif where she's looking off, looking confused with the various uh, math equations going, you know, floating above her head. That would have been me trying to figure out the format of this, especially doing it in a, in a multi-site, um, you know, being able to do it in three cities. But I, I think overall they did an amazing job. The fact that there were fans in the stands, I mean, goes to, the incredible tennis fandom that the Australians have. We love that. The, the fact that they can sort of sustain this tennis ecosystem for a whole month of the year is really impressive because I do think there are some places where there might be some fatigue, but it seemed like the interest level was high. Rafa had had a good point that the three teams in per group and doing the round robin led or lent itself to a lot of dead rubbers, um, which mm -hmm. we never like to see. People want to be able to see more mixed doubles that counts. Uh, I agree with that. That's that's a ton of fun. On the flip side, that's probably not why most of these players are playing this. The, being able to play mixed doubles is, is the draw for us or one of the draws for us. It's not the draw for them. They want to be able to get matches. Um, there's also prize money involved. There are points involved. I, I feel like for a player, I, and I think next year, we're going to see a lot more players wanting to play this because of the option to get, you're going to get at least two matches in that initial group stage. So it's not like you can go lose your first round match and then, uh-oh, I need more matches before the Australian Open. So again, overall, I think there were a lot of positives. I do think we'll see maybe some format changes next year, maybe four teams to a group. Um, and if there's more interest, I mean, gosh, I would have loved to have seen Team Canada I mean, that, how fun would that? I mean, I think second to the U.S. That could have. You been, don't have to convince us. I right, mean, for sure, I know, right? right? Um, I think that would have been a really fun, fun group to watch. And we know Felix hasn't met a cup he doesn't like, um, so mm -hmm. maybe he just needed a little bit of a rest this year. We'll get Team Canada in there next year. So I think there, I think there's going to be a waiting list as far as countries who want to participate next time around. Yeah, and uh, as you said, I think conceptually with with the format there surely are some tweaks uh they can make where as as you can say like the energy and electricity was high when i watched dim and our play nadal um but then the fact that there isn't meaning behind the match uh for for someone to you know australia is not really effectively gaining a point or gaining anything from from winning a tie against spain there so that's a detail they need to fix and as you said i mean it's it's the inaugural year. I hope like next year um, we can see, of course, our Canadians. We can see a few of the like high profile players, whether it's Djokovic, uh, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, of course, play just a, a few bigger names, like all sort of drawn in to play this event. Yeah, I, I but I think we're headed in that direction. I think for a first year event, they should be proud of themselves because mm. I mean, we take a lot of what goes on behind the scenes for granted. You guys know you've seen it. Uh, I've seen it, but 
it's it's hard to imagine sometimes, you know, what's happening underneath the water when everything is looking like, oh, what a show on the outside. So props to yeah. the organizers, props to Tennis Australia. You mentioned my beef with the uh, United Cup, which was the fact Canada wasn't there. Clearly my bias, I can't hold it back. I want to see the Canadians there, especially when we won the ATP Cup, the short-lived ATP Cup from a year ago, closed out 2022 with the Davis Cup. And and our women's team is is going to be, I feel like, in the mix for Billie Jean King Cup as well moving forward. Um, so it does suck when your own country isn't there. Would you have liked to have seen, uh, I think you kind of alluded to it already, what Canadians could have done there and 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 where do you see them fitting in the tennis ladder? Like we're at the point now where we really believe we're a tennis nation. And uh, and this is something that 10 years ago, I don't think anyone would have really felt was, was truly possible. But between the men and the women, uh, we've got it. I feel like we totally belong now. Yeah, you know, it was funny when Canada won Davis Cup. I was just, and, and Milos tweeted uh, when they won, but I was, I the whole time as they were sort of en route, I thought of him multiple times. First of all, because I have absolutely no idea what he's doing. Maybe you, maybe you top, guys. It's top it. secret. It's top secret. Apparently. Um, I don't know if he's, if he's trying to come back and we're going to see him back eventually, but he really was sort of, of the one who, got the momentum started in a lot of ways. And so, uh, you know, sparing a thought for Milos Raonic and, and laying the, uh, you know, laying the pathway for these younger guys on the men's side and, and on the women's side as well. It's, I'm interested to see if uh, Bianca has a 100% healthy year. I certainly hope so for her. She did have a quote where she said, you know, I feel like I'm playing, what, what did you guys would know, but something about feeling like she could play top 10 tennis or she's feeling like she's headed in that direction. Yeah. Well, she told Ben before Christmas, I'll let Ben take it away here, but what did she tell you about what she thinks of her current ranking? Yeah, look, she she said she wasn't happy seeing the 46 next to her name. And uh, she believed if she had a good six months that she could get back in the top 10. So I, I think the self-belief there is high. And she had kind of an interesting tournament where she rallied like way behind against Muguru then won her first match and then lost like 12 straight games to Kudermatova in her second. So, I, I mean, things are still a little up and down, but I think we're seeing a lot of positive signs overall, at least with Bianca. Yeah, and uh be interesting to see if Layla can get that consistency in 2023. And Jeannie, I, I don't count out Jeannie either. I think that if if again, if she can get confidence is is so elusive, but that can be all that it takes sometimes. It's just to get mm -hmm. a couple good match wins and then all of a sudden you're on a roll. I mean, I think she gives Canada another top 100 type player for sure, at the very least, if she's healthy. And Milos, I always say it, that if Milos is healthy, he's only 31, 32 years old. I still think he can be a threat on grass and, and hard court. But uh, so I like you bringing his name up. I want to say one last thing about the United Cup. And it's just to me, it's so nice to see the men's and the women's tour simultaneously playing, not just at the same venue, but separately, but together mixed in as as one event. And I, I mean, I wish here in Canada we could see them in one city as as we see in places like Cincinnati. It's kind of that virtual Toronto, Montreal, always, you know, 500, 600 kilometers apart. Um, what's the importance of having an event like this that brings both sides, both genders together for the sport of tennis, do you think? And, and would you like to see more of it if possible? Well, it's one step closer to actually having tennis united. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about it. We remember the, you know, the iconic Roger tweet followed by the the Rafa tweet. And 
Are we getting closer to that uh, as a whole? I don't know the ins and outs, so I don't know. But I think in, ter in, a, in terms of mentality, in terms of how the outside is viewing tennis, I do think we are taking baby steps toward it being seen as, as one entity. Uh, and that's, to me, a, a huge positive. And it also introduces potentially women's tennis to people who might never have you know, bought a ticket and gone to a WTA event before. And I think once they see it, people are like, oh yeah, this is, this is tennis. This isn't women's tennis. This is tennis. And this is fun. And this is exciting. And who knows, maybe there's the opposite effect too. Maybe there is a diehard WTA fan who has, has, you know, not embraced the ATP who goes to an event like this and, and, you know, becomes a huge fan of Francis Tiafo by the end of it, or, um, Steph Sitsipas, whatever it is. I think that, that this kind of an event is moving us in the right direction and having content where the players, you know, where Matteo Berrettini and Martina Trevisan are sitting next to one another, you know, <laughs> doing like a version of the newlywed game with the content. I think that sort of thing is so much fun to just the visual that becoming normal. Like I, I don't know if I can, I don't know that I can really give specifics, but it was not that long ago that I was at a tournament where there, there was a, an opportunity to post about a, um, a similar event happening at the same time. <laughs> for the ATP WTA and behind the scenes, it was like, no, mm -mm, we don't do that. And, and that was only a few years ago. So we've come a long way since then. I think there's still a long way to go, but it's moving in the right direction. Yeah, it's it's definitely a good step forward. As I as you said and kind of alluded to, I, I think it is great on the billing where like you're tuning in for United Cup and it's like, oh, here's uh, Pagula against Trevisan, and then later I'll watch you know Pass and Berrettini. I, I think that's like I love that dynamic of a lineup, and you are getting the best of both worlds, which is great. Just um, moving to some other storylines for the week, I think Novak Djokovic, of course, uh, is his dominance, which just continues. I, I mean, it's pretty astounding what he's what he's been able to do. Um, turn of 2022 into 2023, notching his 92nd title in Adelaide, beating Sebastian Korda. I, I mean, it, it's so easy to just say, well, he's going to win the Australian Open. But you start looking on the short list of contenders. Carlos Alcaraz is out. Rafael Nadal loses his first two matches of 2023. It does feel like a very short list of like who can stop this guy in Melbourne because he is just simply on fire. Yes, I will say, though, I don't think there is such thing as a sure thing. I, I think you guys I agree. Probably, and I think I think people generally agree with that. But I do. <laughs> I understand that what Novak has done in particular in Australia sort of defies our understanding. Um, shout out to Hyun Chung, the last last person to be yeah. in Australia, which um, also shout out to Hyun because I, I sure hope that he is getting his body together and could be healthy again, because I loved, he was such a fun player to watch. But as far as Djokovic goes, I just think back to 2016 when he had won the Australian Open and he had won Roland Garros. And it was, the, the talk sounded very much like it does right now, which is like, I mean, he's going to win the calendar slam. He's going to win the grand slam, like obviously. And he, you know, may have tweaked something at Roland Garros. He loses, I think, third round to Sam Querrey at Wimbledon. And that ends up starting a, a, 
like an 18 month saga of an elbow issue. I just think you never know. We saw, you know, was there a little tweak of the hamstring? I don't know. He looked fine in the final, but you just, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's by the way, what, what Medvedev was doing on the court. That's, that's what I look like on the court. And when I'm not mocking my opponent for an injury, (laughs) it's just (laughs) stretching out that back leg. Yeah. You would never mock an opponent. Come on, Blair. No, no. no All respect. I, I, that's just what I look like in real life. Um, that, that's what my actual uh, hamstring stretches need to look like in between points to hang in there. But yeah, I just don't think there's there's such thing as a sure thing. I do think having five sets to figure it out works in Djokovic's favor. Um, he, my favorite analogy for him and the one that I just think back to so often and, you know, in, in a match like the final against Florida, where he's just like a Florida palm tree in a hurricane. And as a soft Florida girl, I, you know, you've seen many where you're like, it's got to snap. It's got to break. It's got to fall over. And never, never. And it doesn't. And then eventually it kind of strings itself back up, uh, you know, a few weeks after the hurricane. But it's it's amazing how he just bends, 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 but doesn't break in those circumstances. And opponents no. And, and that's why I feel like you have to have somebody, a mentality as brash as a Holger Runa who doesn't, he just doesn't seem to care what the reputation is. He seems just so incredibly confident in what he can do and what he should be able to do. So even after a loss, there's that feeling of, well, that should never have happened, no matter who the loss was to. And so I think that mentality going in is huge against Djokovic. And there's not a big pool of people who could do it, but I don't think it's impossible. I agree. No, there's, I mean, there's no such thing uh, as impossible, of course, in, in this sport. And yeah, I just wonder, I was thinking even of the final, the, there were some eerie similarities of actually, you know, Taylor Fritz for stretches at the ATP finals looked like he was out playing Novak, uh, misses sort of a, a backhand put away ball. And then we see the same, same thing from Sebi Korda actually in that first set against Djokovic sort of backhand up the line to win. It hits the top of the tape. And, and there's just like that constant, mental pressure you are under when you're playing Djokovic that you you just can't flinch for one moment and you're human so you do and he's not human so he doesn't I it's just it's incredible that he doesn't have these mental letdowns that seem to happen to you know 99.9 percent of the tour uh yeah I give me the recipe I (laughs) again it's it's sort of beyond our ability to comprehend what what he has done what Rafa has done, what, what Roger did. Um, it, it is, you know, the fact that we're still talking about them. I mean, Novak's 35. It, it's mm-hmm. wild to think that he is, is seen by the general public as the clear favorite. I mean, that would have been, you know, 20, 30 years ago to think of, of that sort of age gap. And, and he's being challenged by 23 year olds, 24 year olds. It would have been unheard of. So uh, yeah, it just defies logic. That, that age, that 35-year-old age, reminds me of Agassi when he had that great 2005 U.S. Open. But we knew he was on the way out, that his back just couldn't sustain it, unfortunately. And then, of course, yes. the year after 2006, he basically limped off tour, you know, against Benjamin Becker there in that final match. I'd always wanted to see him win that one and face Andy Roddick for a final match. But what can you do? But at 35, he looked like it was, yeah, the end was near. And Djokovic looks like he could play another 10 years like this. It's scary. 
I, I mean, it's scary, <laughs> but I'm interested to see how it actually plays out because you got to think that that sort of the rules of aging and the universe, like it's got to, it's got to catch up to him at some point, but it also goes to show, I, I think Novak is, you know, from everything I, I understand, very much a control freak as far as uh, what goes into his body, who is around uh, his body, who's who's working on it, who, you know, all of those things. And, and I think he sort of set a standard as far as taking care of your body that a lot of players have taken a page from. Um, and I think it's increased, it's helped sort of power a wave of increased uh, professionalism as far as how these players approach literally every single day on the tour there's no off day in terms of how you take care of your body um for Novak and I think a lot of people have seen that and thought huh well maybe I need to be doing a little bit better job of that myself so we go from Novak on the one end of the spectrum who's such an established established pro uh I want to ask you for 2023 who's a player maybe a breakout player that you're watching male or female or one of each and I also want to ask you Maybe who's a breakout member of the tennis media, someone who's been hustling Ooh. that you think is going to be like, you know, up at your level one day or not to put the spotlight on you, but but someone who you're excited about in terms of what they bring to the coverage of the sport. OK, um, well, I'll start with breakout player. Um, and listen, Corda was on my list, guys, before he reached the final. Sure, sure <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I. It was amazing to me. I, I feel like because he had those two finals for the end of the season, I sort of like missed that that, I, I mean, I knew that it happened, but it was tail end of the season. There's a yeah. little bit of fatigue in terms of coverage. Um, but the fact that he finished the year ranked 33, I believe, and really, I mean, he was out for a good portion of it. He had shin splint issues. Um, his serve seems to have been improved. And that was what everybody sort of pointed to as, one of the things that had to get better for him to be at the top, top. Uh, I think he has a super high tennis IQ. I think back to, I think it was Acapulco last year. It was one of the, one of the Mexican tournaments, uh, but he, and I can't even remember who he was playing, but I just remember the serve. It was a first serve kicker out wide that his opponent just wasn't expecting and dumped into the net. And you hear all the time, like, okay, yeah, mix up, mix, mix up the speed, mix up the spin, you rarely see it. You rarely see that sort of contrast. Um, and it was just, it just sort of is imprinted on my mind and a reminder of, I think, I think his tennis IQ is very high. And so if he can just get a little bit more confidence in the tight moments, believing that he can beat uh, Rafa Nadal at Indian Wells or a uh, Novak Djokovic in, in Adelaide, I think that that is going to be huge. He just needs like one of those wins, I think, and then it'll get the ball rolling. Um, Jack Draper, I think also kind of a safe bet because gosh, he looked so good and powerful last year and, um, Ben Shelton, I think he's yep. going to be much higher than, than the high nineties where he's ranked right now. I mean, wild to think that his trip to Australia was his first trip out of the country. I thought that, <laughs> um, our friend Jose Morgano pointing that out was, was, fascinating really I mean you see how he's done it obviously there there are options to play in the U.S. but I mean the world is his oyster I think right now uh, on the women's side this isn't really breakout but I think Sloane Stevens is going to have a good year oh resurgence resurgence I think you know she's working with Francis Roig uh Rafa's old coach which I, I think that Sloane is someone who at any point as we all know could come out and just go on a tear but 
um, just to have taken that investment in her career, brought in a new voice, a new vision. I think that speaks to where her head is. Um, Alicia Parks, Katie McNally. Oh yeah, you already you already took one of mine. Alicia Parks is definitely top of my list for sure. Yes. Um, yeah, the way she finished twenty twenty two is unbelievable, and I hadn't really watched her and just checked in. I was like, she is serving like absolute missiles. This is yeah. this is terrifying. Who's who's going to be able to handle this? So that's that's a good one for sure. I love it. Yeah, no, and and then there are, of course Linda Noskova. We we've seen this past week. She's she's one to watch, and and Zhang Chinwen I think is is also a pretty safe bet because she's been coming. But again, you just see these players just like Alicia Parks with the firepower. And you just think, okay, if if the consistency can go from here to here, an inch higher, that can make a world of difference. So it's tough, those- it's tough for the it's tough for the experienced players. Eh? You never get a break. Like each year there's other hungry young players gunning for you coming in and it just never seems to stop and in fact in tennis i feel like year after year there's more that we could talk about i'm sure you could have thrown in another dozen names there right so well i do i do want to give one honorable mention because i know as a as a sometimes journalist i am impartial quote air quotes but barbara krejcikova and i bonded at the wta finals i had a chance to sort of get to know her as a human which I think is something that we don't always get to do with the players. You have, you can have a really good professional uh, relationship, but rarely do you actually get to sort of talk about life. I just think if she's healthy this year, would not at all surprise me if she's back in the top five before the end of the year. Well, trust your insight for sure, because you get those revealing conversations, even in small snippets with players on court. It's amazing what you can do in a short, like, you know, three minute interview. So, um, that's great to hear. Was there a media member that we should keep our eyes on this year? Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily someone who who I am just because I don't know the the tennis hiring world is bananas. But a couple a couple people that I um, am a big fan of. One, you have heard his questions. I know you have probably not seen much of his face, but his name is uh, Urson Kaderis. He does a lot of the questions for um, Tennis TV World Feed and. Um, again, he's he's kind of like the go-to guy for behind the scenes producing. So asking the cameras uh, that, but not necessarily being on camera. I asked him at Labor Cup, I was like, Urson, you could do this on camera. He said, oh no, I don't know how you do that. I'm like you, but he is a really astute question asker. And as tennis fans and people who consume this stuff all year, we all are enjoying his work, whether we know it or not. So shout out to Urson. And I am a big fan of Matt's at the Tennis Podcast. Um, love the Tennis Podcast crew as well. But um, Matt on that team, I think his research is fantastic. So big fan of his as well. I love it. Um, well, Blair, we are always honored when uh, you can join us and make time for Matchpoint Canada. And we're thrilled we had you for for episode one of 2023. So wishing you all the best uh, for the year and so happy uh, you made time. Uh, Thanks so much, guys. Have a happy 2023. Here is to some great second serves and aggressive ground strokes. (laughs) With my imaginary champagne in hand. Cheers to you guys. Cheers (laughs) to that. Folks, uh, we can find Blair Henley uh, at Blair Henley on Twitter, at BD Henley on Instagram, and her website, which I just realized you had a website, BlairHenley.com. And as I'm browsing it and I'm seeing, you know, places you've appeared and you had Matchpoint Canada on there. So I'm like, oh, isn't that nice? 
Yes, I sure do. Listen, this is this is got to be on my list. You guys have have done amazing things, and um, I love the consistency with which you do it. It is hard, so keep up the good work. Appreciate that. Now you just got to add to your list of tournaments that you've covered: Toronto, Montreal. So I don't know if this is the year for that, but I know I I am well aware it is. It's on my list, guys. I need need to make it happen. But now though, now that Ben is is the established on camera personality, I don't know. I don't know. If I don't know room. about. I don't know about established. We'll see. <laughs> you could always together. There's always room you could work for you. together. Exactly. Ben, I should have, I should have said you, Ben. Are we going to see more of you uh, doing the on camera stuff this year? I certainly hope so. Yes, I, <laughs> I think that's 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 definitely a goal. There's another tennis goal for 2023. More on camera work. So, love it. Well, you did a great job. I appreciate that. There you have it, Blair Henley. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada, and we're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mike, always so great catching up with one of our favorites, Blair Henley. She's just a true pro, right? Like she's just, she's got it. And uh, the way that she does her work, the way that we see year after year, seemingly she pops up at more and more tournaments and events who want to have her there courtside or doing social media content behind the scenes because I've never met anyone else in this business who makes players seem so comfortable right off the bat and gets great content from them. Uh, she just puts people at ease. And when someone's feeling comfortable and at ease and trust the person who's asking the questions, you're going to get legit reactions and, and stuff that is just way more than your standard uh, answers to tennis questions. Yeah, you you touched on it with the word trust. I think building trust and rapport with players is is so critical. And I think Blair, with with her charming personality, is able to do that very very quickly. So um, I know she's going to do a terrific job again in 2023. I mean, we covered United Cup, another title from Novak Djokovic, but plenty of other action we had in in the week one calendar. Yeah, so looking at some Canadians, Leila Annie Fernandez was the uh, the third seed in Auckland, made it through her first two matches uh, just with crazy score lines. One and one in the first one, love and one in the second one, and then she fell to Yislene Bonaventure, 6-4, um, 6-2, and that was maybe a little bit unexpected, but she did advance to the doubles final along with Bethany Maddox-Sands, and I can't think of a much better person to partner up with in doubles as a young player like Layla Annie, than a veteran like Bethany Maddox-Sands, who, uh, again, just a great outgoing type of personality, making her feel at home and and such a, a doubles pro as well. Yeah, I think she's a pleasure to be around for for all players to, to feed off her energy and the way she carries herself on and off the court. She's certainly uh, one of the delights of this sport. So for Layla to get that opportunity, make a, a women's doubles final as you said, I, I mean, the way she was playing those first couple matches and these dominant score lines, lesser competition to a degree, sure. Um, but Layla was really, really on the front foot that I was I was kind of getting a sense like she could compete for the final maybe. Um, but so I was a little bit surprised when Bonaventure um, handled her pretty easily 6-4, 6-2. I know Layla had a handful of break opportunities in that match she didn't take, and I, I think that kind of t- uh, turned the tide a little bit, and Bonaventure grabbing the first set seemed to have the, that momentum carry over to the second, but in terms of a start, I think it's positive for Layla because she gets three singles matches in. She gets a few doubles matches in as well, um, so she's gotten plenty of court time ahead of the Australian Open. 
Yeah, and I think 2023 is going to be a really good one for Layla Annie. Sure, she's got some points to defend early in the season. She got that title in, in Monterey. But then post-French Open this year, I think it's going to be a, a low-stress uh, portion of the season, the back end, the second half of the season, because she didn't have, admittedly, by her own admission, you know, the greatest second half of the season after coming back from that foot-ankle injury that she sustained at the French Open. So I think there's going to be a lot for her to pick up in that portion of the year. And uh, and so I think, you know, her ranking right now, which is hovering in the uh, what low 40s, um, I think we could see her back up into the top 20 by the end of 2023, um, just based on on that fact. Um, other opening week um, observation, I mean, titles on the women's side for Arena Sabalenka and Coco Goff as well. So great starts to the year if you're fans of either of those players. Um, also, if you're a Venus Williams fan, good news, bad news was great to see that she's planning on playing in 2023, that she was back and, and ready to start the season. Won her first tennis match in over a year. She didn't have a, a singles win in all of 2022. But then in a three-set loss, suffered an injury that's going to keep her out of the Aussie Open. So that's a setback um, uh, for sure for Venus. Yeah, unfortunate timing with that because, as you said, she she beats Katie Volanets, uh for her first win in you know over a year and a half uh, to get a WTA victory at her age is so so impressive that I was getting some confidence like oh it would be amazing to to see her at the Australian Open how many more opportunities are left I don't know if this was the last one hard to say she still has that drive and competitive spirit to play uh, but unfortunately she will be missing uh, this edition of the Australian Open just a, a couple notes on the Canadians as well Felix Oj. Aliasim opening opening his tournament in Adelaide loses six four seven six to Alexi Popperin, a huge hitter who I think benefited a, a little bit as well from the Aussie crowd backing him in this match. Um, I don't take too much stock in this loss for Felix. You know, Holger Rune lost his first match of the season as well. Uh, there are a handful of players who already have losses to start twenty twenty three or with within the top twenty five. I. I Sort of chalk this up to, to Russ, the fast court popper, and just playing some great tennis for two sets. Yeah, Felix also played so much tennis to end 2022. The offseason was super short for him. I mean, that's part of the reason I believe that we didn't see him and Dennis at the uh, United Cup and why we didn't see Canada there uh, was because they didn't want to perhaps overburden themselves to start out this season. So perhaps more of a you know, um, s- slower start to the year and 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 leading into the Aussie Open, not wanting to play too many matches before that. But that's what they're going to want to peak for. That's what they're, you know, training for and 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 adjusting to the time difference over there and whatnot. And and even if they're not playing, um, I believe a week this uh, an event this coming week. To me, that's not a concern because I think they've got the bigger picture. Uh, they're becoming, you know, I want to say seasoned pros now, right? They've got many years under their belts already, mm-hmm. even though they're 22, 23 years old. Um, they know their bodies and and they know what, um, you know, how to start a, a tennis season. Yeah, I think so. And uh, and for Dennis Shapovalov, I thought it was a really positive start to the season. He even posted about it, posted about it on Twitter after losing to to Novak Djokovic and there's no shame to lose losing to Novak because everybody is doing that right now but he got a couple wins uh under his belt in Adelaide as well had a nice round of 16 win over Roman Safel in 6-4-6-3 lost to Djokovic 6-3-6-4 but for those who watched the match honestly that's a pretty misleading scoreline and you could argue the way Dennis was playing the first six seven games of the first set I think he was out playing Novak from the back of the court he was confident at net and just 
couple sloppy points, double faults, rearing rearing their head at at, at the worst possible time. Sort of gifted Djokovic a game, serving at three four, and then uh, of course that gave him the momentum. Snatches up the first set, has a break in the second. But uh, I I thought it was a positive match from Denis Shapovalov, honestly, and a, a positive first tournament. Yeah, and we're clearly hoping there's lots of positives for Canadians to start the year, including the following who are going to be in Aussie Open qualifying. And I got to say, I was looking for the draw on Twitter and I pulled one up and I started writing down names and I realized quickly, wait a minute, this isn't the 2023 Aussie Open qualifying draw because I had like Peter Polanski there and uh, who's coaching Shapovalov now. Yeah. And I quickly realized, wait a minute, this isn't right. So I went back and there are five Canadians in there. I got the right draw. We got Catherine Sebov, Jeannie Bouchard, and Carol Zhao on the women's side. Alexis Gallerno and Gabriel Diallo on the men's side, hoping to make it into the main draw. So hopefully we can see at least a couple of them that uh, that make it through those three rounds that you need to get yeah. to the main draw. Yeah, certainly. I think they're going to have their chances. should say Catherine Sebov has been playing really, really well leading into the new year. She won uh, a women's, an ITF 25K uh, right at the end of December. She made a final as as well, I think in Granby, was it? Or maybe Gatineau, can't remember one of the two. So she's actually been really, really trending up of late. I think she'll have her her chances. And Jeannie Bouchard as well, if she's healthy, uh, an opportunity to qualify without a doubt. And, uh, you know, to wrap up this week's episode, our first one, and boy, it really does feel great to be back. And I hope for our listeners, they've been uh, looking forward to our first episode and for us to get back into that rhythm and routine. And, you know, just like the players, we took a little little break, brief hiatus, some family time, some downtime, but we're recharged and ready to go. And And some of our listeners chimed in in terms of what they're recharging and ready to go in 2023 in terms of their tennis New Year's resolutions. Blair Henley shared hers. You and I mentioned ours. I got three here that I'd like to share. Uh, Julie Smith said she wants to improve her serve and watch more live tennis. And that's always a good one. I always come into the start of a season so hungry to watch live tennis, even though the hours are going to kill me in Australia for the next few weeks. Uh, Pete Borkowski, who actually works for Tennis Canada, and we've had a great working relationship with Pete, especially at the National Bank Open last year. He wants an improved two-handed backhand to avoid his slice and having to run around and hit his forehand. So Pete, we wish you much success this year with that resolution. And Jermaine Grimes was uh, similar to my own. He wants a better second serve and to finish off points more at the net, which is kind of taken from both yours and my New Year's tennis resolution. So we'll see how those go. We'll definitely have to check back. I mean, I am committed to mine. Unlike actual New Year's resolutions, which I'll say and never follow through on, (laughs) I, I really do plan on working on the serve more this year and getting some professional help with that one, too. That's great. And it'll make certainly a world of, of difference. If you're just playing nice and free when you're hitting that second serve, everything's going to just feel much more relaxed and easy. Yeah, easier said than done. But uh, all the best for, for your New Year's tennis resolutions and all of our listeners' resolutions as well. So happy to be back here at Matchpoint Canada, guys. And our next episode, we'll have a full Australian Open preview. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. We will talk to you next time. 